Welcome back to Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and just generally awesome. I'm Darren Franich. I am joined, as always, via audio teletype by my colleague EW's Jeff Jensen. Audio teletype. And another thing about Manishiel, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> darn, darn you, Jensen. I'll, I'll, I'll get you with my next retort. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, it's a pleasure to speak with you. It's a pleasure to know we're probably not going to be speaking about Man of Steel this week, actually. I, I think I speak for us and for our theoretical listeners out there. Theoretical <laughs> listeners. Yes, although maybe we've just lost the extra 5% of the people who are tuning in this week because they think that all we do is just yell at each other. All we do is yell at each other about things. We disagree about everything. We're like a, a sitcom married couple. It's, it's like, it's, yes, yes. But we're, we're not really that way. So, like, last week was an exceptional flashpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually two very, very kind-hearted, congenial people, generally speaking, I, I would say. We're, we're losing, we're, we're, we're literally losing more and more people by the second here. Like, come on, guys, who doesn't want to listen to two, like, you know, totally nice, vanilla-flavored people have a, you know, quiet conversation for a while? Right. Yes, it is. It is. And Jeff, we have one of our most boring podcasts ever this week. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be talking about a couple of pretty big TV shows, one that just ended, one that just began. We'll get to Mad Men a little bit later. Um, and, uh, you know, if it, if it seems a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, then consider the fact that this was basically, this season, as you put it in your review, was basically a retelling of Dante's Inferno. In some respects, one of the first science fiction uh, novels, uh, which is probably something that no one has ever said about Dante's Inferno before. But Jeff, first of all, I want to talk to you about a show that uh, I think we both sort of like and are sort of cautiously optimistic about. Under the Dome just debuted uh, the, the evening before this podcast was recorded. Uh, this is the Stephen King adaptation based on one of his sort of gigantic thousand-page epic treatises on, on you know the middle of Maine and how it relates to America now. Uh, the first episode, uh, I recapped it, you reviewed it. I, I liked it quite a bit. It didn't sort of jump right out and wow me. Um, but I, I, I sort of found that it really captured a lot of the magic of the book. I mean, just the whole sequence at the start when you're meeting everyone and then suddenly the bizarre invisible dome shield just comes down. I, I thought that was really effective. And, you know, again, maybe my standards are lower for summer TV, but I, I, I was really into it. I've, I've watched that, that episode three times now and I always find that... I find myself enjoying it. Yeah, I was pretty impressed too. Um, I, I I was a little skeptical. Um, there's some aspects to it that I that the way that it's being presented to us that quite frankly I I don't quite understand or don't know why it has to be in this form like this sort of like very weird positioning of is it a mini series? Is it an event series? Is it some cable model kind of thing? Um, and and, and, and why are we only being given one episode to preview? That kind of annoyed me from a critical point of view. It, 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 is, it is strange. Well, and also to your point, this is really the kind of show that I, the second episode to me is going to be so much more telling about its overall yeah. direction. You know, like this first episode was literally just like, you know, this almost kind of impressionistic meeting all these different characters and you sort of see their initial reactions to this calamity to suddenly being cut off from the outside world. But to me, it's really, you know, the second episode is when we learn, you know, is this going to be the sort of interesting, you know, like Battlestar Galactica's second episode was all about like, uh-oh, we're, we're suddenly running low on like natural resources. And like, that was really dramatic. Like, is it going right. to be that kind of episode or is it going to be, you know, my, my concern is not to be too 
too dismissive of, of CBS, but th- the general CBS drama is a little bit old fashioned and, uh, you know, a, a little bit, you know, I, I, I question whether this can be the sort of, you know, cool, expansive sci-fi series that I want it to be on the network that brings you Criminal Minds. So that's that's kind of my concern after that first episode. Yeah, but like, but I, I agree in the sense of like there there was a uh, there was a lot to ad- admire about the uh, the first episode. Um, I, I really loved the way that all the characters were introduced. Um, you know, in the, the first sort of ten minutes, like where I thought were ex- uh, really strong. Um, the, you know, the, the writers came up with the. Uh, um, all of these sort of like very character rich, um, uh, interesting kind of ways to, to, to introduce the whole, you know, the, the, the breadth of the town and each individual yep. Yep. Uh, character. And, and I immediately struck by everyone was, was, was very well cast, you know, and, and not necessarily, and, and by relatively fresh faces, which I also appreciated. So I, 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 I liked the way that it kind of like hooked me in, into its world. Like right away I knew that. I was I was rooting for the thing to succeed because I kind of felt like like okay I I, I can follow these people and there's and there, there's a lot of them. Yeah, well, and, and you know, to your point, also, uh, you know, I was a really big fan of the book. It's it, it's it's honestly probably in my like top five of you know Stephen King books, and I, I've read dozens of them. <laughs> like 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 a lot of young nerds, there's no shortage of, of of Stephen King in in my library. But what struck me was that you know, so in those first few minutes, you know, you meet some of these characters. And, you know, obviously the character of Big Jim, as played by Dean Norris, you know, he's kind of the most familiar face. You meet him, and he's. Re- reading Churchill, and he immediately leaves a, leaves a $100 tip for the waitress. You know, you, you get the sense right away that's a sort of interesting, almost larger-than-life figure right off the bat. But I liked seeing, too, how, without spoiling anything, there were some characters that just right away were tweaked, not necessarily radically changed, but just enough so I could tell that, you know, there are smart TV writers who have a good sense of how to adapt a book into a potentially long-running TV show. I mean, you know, the the, the very first time we meet Barbie, who at, at this point seems to be one of the kind of main protagonist characters in the show, he's he's burying a dead body in the woods, and I, I that that kind of reminded me of you know uh, I, I I I I haven't seen a show in a while that just so completely throws out all these interesting little mysteries right away that I really want solved immediately. So that was that was a lot of fun, um, yeah. but uh, I, I mean, and I I think in your you know, in your review of it, you kind of pointed out that you know this is a series that is being made by people who know an awful lot about pop culture and seem to have all these great reference points. I mean, Brian K. Vaughn developed this, and he is the writer of, I mean, really, two of the great sort of comic book sagas of the last uh, 10 years, not even counting the saga he's currently writing called Saga, Why the Last Man is Fantastic, Ex Machina is great. I'm always kind of waiting for HBO to adapt Ex Machina into a like uh, into an ongoing series that, that, why the last man I mean I like I, I like I know people are fixated on making that into a movie but like that seems to me like a, a perfect kind of like 10 to 12 episode like HBO TV series yeah I mean that would be that would be fantastic um, maybe hopefully after maybe well, you know given the fact that this show was a pretty big success last night maybe Brian K Vaughn's domination of Hollywood is is about to begin but right. you, you know he's he's 
certainly a really sort of creative, interesting person. And I, I liked how, uh, you know, as you pointed out in your review, there was that great moment when Junior Rennie, who I, I, I'm already nicknaming Kid with the Crazy Eyes, uh, told Barbie, be seeing you, which is, of course, a reference to the great 1960s sci-fi classic, The Prisoner. And, you know, there, there's a part of me that's kind of like, you know, if, if this series even kind of comes close to The Prisoner, which is such a kind of interesting, wackadoo, every episode is its own crazy, surreal dream. If that's even a little bit something they're aiming for, then this is a show that I, like, want to commit to for at least the first few episodes. Yeah, I mean, that's my hope, too. I mean, like, I, I have not read the book, although to prepare for my review, I, I you know, went online and found some resources that, that basically spoiled the book for me a great deal. Um, so, like, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see on, 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 on to what degree this show is going to be different from the book, if there might be other sort of mythological explanations. Yeah, well, mythological, I mean, by, you know, what is, what, you know, what is the, what is the answer to the yeah, mystery well, of no, the Yeah, no, Jeff, Jeff, by, by mythological, you mean centaurs. And, you know, for all we know, <laughs> you know, that could be what, what, what this whole series is building up to, is the final battle between man and centaur. Well, no, it, it is funny, you know, uh, to, to your point, when I spoke to uh, Brian K. Vaughn for our, for our summer preview issue, one thing that he had said explicitly was that, you know, he had pitched Stephen King on, on an idea for a different ending. And, you know, it, it wasn't clear if that meant a radically different explanation for what the dome is and, you know, the various skullduggery happening in the city, or if it was just like, you know, uh, some version of, hey, this series might last for a really long time. So, you know, maybe we need to kind of shift that around. So it, 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 it did seem like everything is on the table, which, I, which really kind of, even as someone who liked the book, that really excites me, that this might actually actually be a sort of radically different take on this very cool concept. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, the, the thing that you're, you're picking up on, you, you, you've pointed out, and then I, I totally agree with this, that the show is really going to live for me or, or die for me by, by, by the writer's ability to sort of make the ongoing drama of people trapped in one place. Interesting. Um, and if, if, uh, you know, uh, how is this community going to struggle like to sort of the um um you know th that kind of lost kind of idea of you know how do you survive when you're suddenly kind of like in a new environment or in this case if you're completely shut off from the world but the world is right on the other side of a transparent wall you know mm -hmm. um, um i I find that idea, the whole idea of the dome and the whole idea of a city, which is sort of a defined place, um, without a dome put over it, but how, how that place, that sense of place is completely transformed when all of a sudden you literally can't get out of it, right? Yep. And, and, and in fact, the, the outside world, which, you know, in any other circumstance you can normally, you know, like escape into or move out or, or you know, uh, commute from, is suddenly you're completely cut off from it. And um, I, I know that they've kind of teased this in other preview images uh, and, and teaser images, but this idea of like, you can be on one side of the wall and your loved ones or family or friends are on the other side of it, how, how you relate to those people. I do find all of that interesting. And I, I'm very intrigued by stories that could be told about suddenly that this place that is shut off from the world, how does this sort of community now um, uh, interact with the outside world. I'm interested in stories like that, but but ultimately, like 
that the show is going to to live by the stories that are that are going to be created inside this dome. Yep. And 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 and, and that feel that that it captures my imagination as much as it makes me worried. Yep. You know, like how much story can you really do within this world and um and that that's the that's the capture the imagination idea that makes me want to like tune in next week to see what they can do, but also makes me wary about the long term enterprise of it all. But totally. If if, if 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 you know, given the track record of people like Brian K. Vaughn, who by the way is working with a the day to day showrunner on the show is a guy by the name of Neil Bear, who's worked on such shows as ER and Law and Order, and um, so he he knows how to turn a premise into a long running television show. Mm-hmm. So I. I you know, between those imaginations, I'm really hoping they can create an, uh, a lot of story because they're going to need it. I think you're right. I mean, I mean, like to me, in watching that first episode, the, the promise of the show, and again, this is you know, this could this could radically change depending on on how the second episode looks. Is that you know, you kind of have this concept that seems very fertile and that you know has this you know certainly has these sort of uh, vague things in common with shows like Battlestar Galactica, with Lost, with with the sort of, you know, mid-2000s wave of serialized sci-fi dramas, mixed together with a tone that seems purposefully a little bit more everyday and straightforward than those shows were. I mean, like, you know, there were there there, there were many shots in that first episode um, that, you know, almost looked a little bit to me like, you know, m- more like picket fences than like, you know, a, 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 a sort of dark like sci-fi drama. And it, it seems like the sort of promise might be, you know, we're going to kind of bring together this quote-unquote, this sort of CBS-y, you know, hey, America, don't be scared. This is a show that, you know, will be really kind of relatively easy to follow with a slightly more kind of dark and nefarious underbelly. And I, I feel like, you know, when you're, when you're looking at Brian K. Vaughn, when you're looking at Stephen King, to me, the, the interesting kind of overlay of both of them, they're, they're very different in a lot of respects, but they're both very good at introducing characters and immediately making you sort of interested in them. And I, 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 I sort of feel like, you know, we've now met a whole kind of broad swath of people from around this town after the first episode. What excites me is this idea of, you know, are are, are there a lot more people like this that, that we're going to get to know? I mean, is this going to be, you know, is this going to be that kind of cool Lord of the Fliesy thing where you're going to meet different people from all around the town? Or is it going to start to feel kind of hermetically sealed and, you know, we only kind of follow these seven or eight characters? So, you know, there's there, there's there's so many pitfalls for this show and so much potential. And I, I, I just kind of feel like like in a weird way, the fact that the pilot didn't totally wow me gives me more hope for its long-term prospects. You know, like I like I feel like by comparison, I remember um, two shows that that I you know were really sort of enjoyed initially were Flash Forward and The Event, which both had like pretty crazy wowzer. You know, the first episode, everything is you know moving fast and all this stuff, and then they could never really sustain that, that momentum in 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 the, in the long term. Um, right. the, uh, more so the, the event than Flash Forward. I was kind of like Flash Forward, <laughs> even even when it went off the deep end. <laughs> I, I, I did too. I, I I liked Flash Forward for about the first half of it, and then you know obviously something happened behind the scenes because you know the, the creator of that show, David Goyer, like left in the middle of the season, and and then yeah, that the second half of the the, the season didn't really work as well. Yes, um, but yeah, so. 
lots of success stories in this genre, lots of uh, uh, pitfalls to avoid. Um, uh, speaking of, 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 of the lost illusion, one of my favorite storylines in the whole uh, uh, first episode was was Jeff Fahey um, as as the sheriff. Yes, um, it was it was great to see you know Lapidus again. Um, but what was what was great you know if if you know hopefully if you're listening you've actually seen the pilot so let's talk about spoilers. But um, I was really enjoying his character and all of a sudden he drops dead at the end of the Yeah, God, the that the was pilot, fantastic. Which was, which was a total Jack, Jack Shepard move. You know, the original, um, I, I felt like Brian was sort of winking at the, the, the legend of Lost where the original idea for the pilot episode of Lost was that they were going to stunt cast the character of Jack um, That's right. It was Michael it, Keaton. Yeah, Michael Keaton. Oh God! And then, and then they were going to kill him off at the end of the, uh, the the pilot episode as sort of this great fake out, like you think the, the show's about him, but it's not. So they they do that with uh, with with Jeff Fahey's character in um, at, at least I, I think so, unless we're going to get to episode two and we find out that they 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 you know uh, hotwire and uh, and and jumpstart his his pacemaker heart. Yes, but episode I, I, I episode it. two basically becomes crank two high voltage, where Jeff Fahey he needs to keep moving to to keep his to, to, to keep his heart going. Well, no, I mean, you know, uh, I, I I think we can certainly conclude that the intention there, whether he's dead or not, was you meet this character, and really throughout the whole episode, I mean, you know, it's it's Jeff Fahey's eyes, it's his accent, it's you know, he's 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 clearly playing this character that we're meant to understand is somehow, you know, the the sort of moral person in town, and you know, even though he's done some kind of vaguely defined shady thing, he feels bad about it. He's He's, he's about to, to confess it to his deputy right at the end there. And yeah, and then suddenly just like, you know, the the the, the carpet gets completely pulled out from under you. And I, I, I think, I've seen it twice now, I think we're meant to understand that his pacemaker exploded out of his chest. Is, yeah. is that what you saw? Oh, totally. Yeah, he, he touches. Well, I mean, they set you up for it really well, right? Which is like the first time you touch the dome, there's like this little like like strong static electricity electrical charge right mm-hmm. and, and 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 so everyone who touches the dome the first time like ah you know mm-hmm. and then earlier in the show they also plant very early that that he has a pacemaker so um like uh um so, so at the end then when he touches his the dome i think for the first time and it basically causes his heart to explode <laughs> it's kind of funny but it but it, and it's shocking but they, but they Forgive me if I'm wrong. Who, who, um, you know, asks a s- sort of telling question or is yes. about to reveal something, yes. and all of a sudden they they, they drop mysterious. Yes, yes. No, this They're was clearly made to wonder if that's intentional. Yes. Well, th- this was Joe, uh, the teenager, who also, if I recall correctly, is the brother of Angie, currently being held captive in the Rennie nuclear compound. Um, uh, he 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 had just kind of floated this idea of there must be a power source for this thing somewhere. Yeah. Maybe it's inside here with us. And right then he fell down. And I I, I had to look this up. I, I I admit that my memory of the book isn't that great. And also clearly the show is already very different. But I believe he and the young girl who was just passing through town with her moms both said this sort of weird statement: "The stars are falling in lines." Yeah. Um, which is uh, you know it sounds like the chorus of a you know David Bowie song from from the early seventies. But I, I, I clearly yeah yeah there's there's some question now of you know is the dome alive 
the are there people commanding the dome who are doing all this stuff? Again, it, it, it's kind of fun. And again, I, I sort of feel like, you know, the first episode set up all these kind of interesting uh, inter-character dynamics while kind of starting to kind of test the waters with the kind of grander mythological things, which I, yeah. I think... Yeah, I, because, because I have a question for you. Yes. Because you've read the book... And I've been spoiled. I've spoiled myself uh, by by reading some synopses of the book. So I know what the book's explanation is yes. for, for, for the dome. It's an explanation which I find rather interesting in light of all of the sort of like knowing TV references. Yes. Um, uh, you know, there, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a show that – uh, a story that might have this sort of like meta quality to it a little bit, um, this sort of self aware quality of it to a degree. My question is, do you did you like the explanation that Stephen King invented for um, for for the dome, and uh, do you hope the show? Uh, hews closely to it. Well, uh, let's just say right now we'll we'll jump straight into spoilers here. So you know, skip forward, okay. s- skip forward a, f- a few minutes if you're listening. I, I f- first of all, I, I would honestly recommend reading the book because the book is great, and I get the vibe. The show is different enough that they're going to be two very different experiences. But you know, the explanation in the book, if I recall it correctly, and Jeff, you can sort of you know help me out here, is that essentially there are these extraordinarily vaguely defined higher beings, extra dimensional extraterrestrial, not very clear, who are essentially playing around with the people of Chester's Mill as a child would an ant colony. And ultimately, uh, you know, as things have proceeded to a point of complete chaos inside of the dome, one character sort of makes contact with them. And the, the implication is that, you know, I mean, again, it's, it, it's interesting just because it, it seems almost pointless in a very fascinating way for, for a thousand page book. It almost seems like the higher beings just kind of shrug and say like, oh, like, I guess we're kind of hurting them a little bit. Like, why don't we, why don't we pull this thing off? Is, is that pretty much what you read, what your, what your research indicated? I love that you've read the book and I've read spoilers online and you're, and, and you're asking me what happened. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's, it, 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 it's probably fresher in your head than it is in mine is, is why I'm asking. Uh, yes. I, but I think that you're, you're getting it. What I was, what I read online is that, yeah, it hinges on some concept where extra dimensional, or as it was specifically said on Wikipedia, aliens, Yes, aliens are, are, um, have, uh, do things like this, um, or are doing the at least on our planet this this one time at least, basically for their own amusement. Yeah. And um, what what I immediately thought when I read the synopsis that I read was, oh, so this is like a metaphor for 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 entertainment, for television, for oh. reality television. Like, like Chester's Mill is basically Big Brother for aliens. Jeff, you can't see it, but my brain just exploded all around the offices over here. That's really interesting. Okay. Huh. <laughs> you never thought that? Well, okay, well, no, and, and here, here's why. And, and here's why I, I – so to be honest, the explanation in the book, the reason why 
I, I'm looking forward to watching the show is it's really not an explanation at all. I, 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 I sort of think that one of the things that I, I like so much about Stephen King's writing is he's not really that interested in the sort of deeper mythological stuff. I mean, like anyone who's read The Dark Tower, which sort of comes off as initially being this very kind of, you know, fantasy sci-fi thing with a, in, 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 with a series of rules, will know that like by the end, Stephen King doesn't really care about the rules. I mean, like, you know, he's he's really more motivated by character interaction and by, you know, these sort of interesting, grotesque situations. And I, I sort of feel like in the book, the mythology of the book just kind of comes down to him kind of shrugging and saying, like, well, yeah, there's there's a higher power or something like that. And so so that, that's why it's funny. I, I hadn't even really thought about it that much. But I, I you know, this that does kind of so so then, Jeff, are, are you saying that we are keeping the people of Chester's Mill under the dome? We the yeah, TV yeah, viewers? Yeah. Dun 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 <laughs> A, a meta theory about Lost. Uh, I'm sure that I, I floated once or twice in the you know billion ridiculous words I wrote about that show. But like, yeah, that that there was some kind of like you know interaction between audience and. I mean, no, no, no. To be specific, I am not literally saying that we are part of the mythology of the show. Right, right. But, but, but yes, but metaphorically speaking, that's um, interesting. Yeah, that, that the 13.1 million people, we are the alien, extra-dimensional, higher-dimensional people that are, you know, screwing with uh, because you know we, we want to see these drama. We want to see the. No, you're um, you're, you're totally right. well, and, and to be honest, this is why another reason why. As much as I love the book, I find myself really more excited, and and I I, I feel like the show may have even higher ambitions because, you know, even if that is just sort of one thing that's kind of batting around inside of the writers' room, I, I you know I'm so intrigued to see you know what will the kind of interaction of the show to its fan base be if it does wind up having a fan base. I mean, this is always like with Lost, one of the kind of really famous moments is you know the whole Nikki and Paolo thing and how that kind of you know may or may not have been impacted by people's. Reaction to them, and uh, you know, I, I I sort of think that you know that's something that uh, I, I I think Brian K. Vaughn and uh, Neil Bear and, and the writers may be able to kind of explore that in a really interesting way, in a way that you know, again, in in the book it was just kind of there, and like the book was I think much more kind of concerned with the sort of Lord of the Fliesy. I mean, you know, it was it was a very explicit sort of George W. Bush allegory at at, at a certain level too. I mean, I think King has said that the character of Big Jim Rennie is very explicitly a, a kind of Dick Cheney figure, which you know, again, is already kind of changing in the TV show itself, if only because Dean Norris is not as immensely hateable right off the bat as the character was. No, so, hey, Answer this question for me. The Dean Norris character in the book, uh, uh, Big Jim, Big he, Jim, he's building a huge mess lab, right? I believe that is what, what was happening, yes. That was how no, I, they... I, 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 I love the, 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 the fact that, like, on Breaking Bad, Dean Norris is, like, is the DA guy that's, like, chasing after, like, <laughs> kingpin Walter White, and on Under the Dome, he is the meth kingpin. It's, it's, it's great. It's, well, like, it's just, I, and this is why, I mean, God, like, you know, I just think that, going back to what you were saying about the casting, like, how awesome to get this character who, you know, the actor has been playing this sort of incredible and somewhat tortured force for good for so many years and now you know the idea of you know you meet him here and he's he's very oily and it's very clear that there's like you know a lot going on that you know you aren't going to learn about for a while I mean it, it, it's it, it's kind of fun in that in that in that way that you know new TV shows uh, you know for all the kind of mythological you know hooey palooey which can be a lot of fun like I just I, I find myself excited to see
see Dean Norris play that character for the next yeah. 12 weeks. So yeah. Now, what, what about the show doesn't work for you? Like, and I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll start here. Um, cause we might share the same opinion, which is, um, you know, I really liked Dean Norris's psycho son in the, in, 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 in his introductory moment. I liked the, the role reversal of, uh, not the role reversal, but you know, you find him, you know, in bed with his girlfriend and you get the sense that he's like the sophisticated college kid and she's like the stuck in the small town waitress girl or no, no, she's not a waitress, she's a nurse. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> but stuck in the small waitress, town. nurse, whatever. <laughs> right. but, 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 but the way that I kind of like, you know, the, the cliches that I have in my head is he he's going to be, you know, he's sort of like the, the worldly college guy and she doesn't really mean as much to him as vice versa. And, mm-hmm. You know, and like it, she's, you know, he's going to leave her and she's too hooked on him. And I, I don't know. But but then have it all flip, you know, yes. where he's like, like. So I, 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 I'm bumbling here, and I'm really sorry about that. So let me rephrase this whole thing. What I loved about that scene was how it really he, he the actor here really acted this pretty well in this scene, right? Which is he goes from being this complete love struck, like you know, doa, you know, you puppy know, like, dog, yeah, totally, a puppy eyed kind of like guy for this girl, and then all of a sudden he turns kind of scary, violent, and you realize that there's some real darkness in him, and he's kind of like very possessive. Um, I liked that scene. I liked the way that they were introduced. But then when he basically goes off the deep end, yes. in total psycho kid land, and he's like kidnapping her and locking her up in the bomb shelter. And, you know, he, even as much as I love the knowingness of the, the illusion of the prisoner be seeing you, but the psycho eyes that he flashed at Barbie at that moment, you know, was like, Okay, this, this is going to be the storyline that I want over as fast as possible. Yes, I yes. I want to spend two, three, four episodes of him like sliding food under the table, under the door to the girl locked in the bomb shelter, trying to like, you know, convince her to, you know, love him, please, you know, and then she finds some way out. Yes. Like if that's where we're going with that storyline, oh, geez. No, no, I think you're completely right. Well, well, and that's an example of where so much else on the show, what excited me is that even after that first episode, it seemed like you had these plot lines being set up that could go almost anywhere and that was one plot line where yeah you're, you know you're kind of just like oh no I know exactly where this is going like this character is now stranded away from everyone else so yeah her only kind of scenes will be you know oh like how do I get out of this yeah that that well that bothered me the other the other kind of more general thing that, that I didn't like Jeff and I I'd be intrigued to see what you can think about this is you know there was this show was originally planned for Showtime. Now, who knows how much different you know it, it, it may have been. Who knows kind of e- even how far along they were in the planning of it. But it seems to me like there was a way for this first episode to go that would have been very ambitious. That, that would have really been, you know, you're meeting all these characters all around town and they're all kind of reacting to this crazy event in, in a way that, you know, like y- y- you almost don't, you kind of are with them and you kind of almost don't even know what is happening. 
happening. The fact that this show kind of immediately decided, let's get let's get everyone together. Let's establish who the cast is of this show. You know, you had like on one road, Big Jim, the two cops, Barbie, the journalist, they all showed up there. Later on in, in the episode, you had what, what seemed to be the entire town all showed up at, at the diner. That that to me it felt a little bit as if the show was already kind of lowering its ambitions for, you know, how just how gigantic this world is. You know, like 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 the second that everyone who will ever be on this show is all gathered together at the local diner, that feels to me a little bit more TV-like and less like a sprawling, interesting epic that, you know, it, it could have been. So that's, again, this is sort of where I worry that I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not phrasing it well, but there was a way where this could have almost been Game of Thrones in its sort of huge cast portrait image of this small town as a microcosm of America. And now I, I worry that it's going to be, no, there's there's the 10 main characters and they're going to be, you know, going off on missions and stuff like that. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I understand. You know, it's funny. I didn't like the, the quote-unquote town meeting scene either. Um, um, like, first of all, I think that... I, like I didn't, I didn't necessarily like any scene that basically established how big the town was. Yes. I, I, that this makes sense to you. Yes. I think that there, that, that, uh, like, I was really with the pilot. And I really would I, to a point, it was kind of sketchy in some parts in the middle, but ultimately I like where it landed. But I think that a, a, a better version of the pilot would have just sort of like been a little less in a rush. Um, to sort of get to that kind of place like you're talking about, just sort of like you know, a, a pilot that almost like stays with the first hour or yes. two of this yes. event. totally. And um, like, uh, because, uh, yeah, the, the, the whole sort of like, it's not just a town meeting, it's a town meeting in a restaurant. Yes. And, and, and scenes like that, a uh, scene like that made me wonder, well, how big is this town really? Yes, like, totally, and, totally. And, and if it's a town meeting, shouldn't like, Everyone be surely the town is bigger than than the people who could fit into this you know large restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so wh- why are like did did every every family just send one representative? Like, <laughs> uh, like I got, that, that bothered me. Scenes like that bothered me, um, especially since I got to think that part of you know. Um, um, the strategy for for if, if this show is going to sort of last beyond this season, and at, at, with a 13.1 million premiere, and if the next couple episodes are good enough to hold this audience, you know that they're going to make more. Yep. Um, it just made me wonder if um well, you know just like a, you you want it, you, you want the illusion. I wanted the illusion that like I'm okay if we just follow a story yeah. that's just about these like twelve people, but cast the illusion that there's a lot going on in this town with a lot of other people, um, so that you could do an episode or two where it's just like we're going to cut away from the main cast and see how another part of the town is doing, or maybe even next season we're going to tell the same story or 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 move forward with the story with with with. Other people with a different cast. No, well, in the town. well, and and again, and, and you know, like uh, you look at a show like Battlestar Galactica, which is you know, kind of when you set aside the setting, superficially similar. You have this sort of same sense of a relatively small community of people cut off. Natural resources are an issue. Power struggles might become an issue. You know, Battlestar was a show that. 
you you could always do episodes where they would go to a different ship or they would even you know go down to some lower level of the ship and it would really quickly sketch in the sense of and here are all these other characters who've been around the whole time and have done you know have, have been through the same sort of terrifying things and you know those characters are they and I, 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 I felt like you know, if I, I can't tell if that's the kind of show Under the Dome wants to be. I mean, again, not to be o- overlooked, like a lot of the shows we're talking about weren't necessarily that successful. And, and, and Under the Dome just got 13 million viewers. So maybe if they're going for a kind of softer touch on that, then maybe, you know, more power to them. But yeah, I, I, I sort of felt like in that town meeting scene, you could feel some of the show's ambitions shrinking before your eyes. So it, was, it was a little bit troubling, but I, I think it's, I think it's fair to say we we like this we're we're not yet convinced it'll achieve the level of being the fictional version of of, of big brother that you and i and nobody else in america wants to see but it it, it it's it, it has some interesting interesting possibilities right it, it does and you know all, all the questions that we're talking about i mean uh about the long-term of, uh viability of the of, of this series you know there are other ways it can go. I mean, I'm suddenly struck by, well, maybe future seasons aren't set in this town. Like, yep. maybe, you know, since we've swelled through the idea of the book, like, maybe the idea that they're going to play with is at the end of this season, you find out that two or three other towns all of a sudden get domes thrown around them. Yep. And so the next season is about how different people react to the same situation without any sort of like, you know, and, and, and the mythology of the, the, the mystery of what's causing all this continues that there's lots of different ways they can play. Jeff, I, Jeff, I, I, are you talking, are you saying that the spinoff is going to be called under the domes? Under the oh dome. my goodness. No, Some... It'll be like, you know, under the dome, like Miami. <laughs> <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. but, but, but no, I, but uh, yeah, I, I'm intrigued. It should be noted that, like, while I think that Lost, for example, was a superior pilot, um, Lost begged all of these same questions yes. after its first um, uh, showing, too. And, yes. And a big part of my interest um, in Lost from the beginning was was the sort of, like, arms folded head cock sideways. I'm not sure about this. I want to see if they could actually make a show out of this premise. Yes. And then six years later, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Or <laughs> very quickly, I was obsessed with it. I mean, Jeff, you were know. obsessed with lost. What? No, well, I didn't I know, know that. <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on that. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, Jeff, or, or maybe just maybe this season of under the dome will end with everyone moving to Los Angeles, which seems like a great segue to talk <laughs> about, uh, another TV show that is, is very much on our minds this week. Um, Mad Men just concluded its sixth season on television, one season left to go. Uh, this was a, a controversial season in a lot of respects. I, I know a lot of people didn't like it for a wide variety of reasons, running from it was dark, it was repetitive. Uh, you know, some people just plain uh, didn't seem to enjoy a lot of the kind of crazier decisions that they made this year. Uh, you just wrote a review of it, um, which, you know, with, with your typical brevity, only runs about six pages. Um, and uh, you, you made a lot of really interesting points 
in that review that I kind of want to get into. But I, I guess like the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, what, what did you think about this season as a whole kind of looking back on it? I mean, you know, did it did it hold together for you? How did it compare to earlier seasons? Um, you know, obviously there were all these there were all these like mysteries that no one was really expecting that suddenly seemed to come out of the ether around the midpoint of the season. You know, how did you feel that, you know, that all kind of paid off in uh, Sunday's finale? Yeah, this season of Mad Men was easily my least favorite season of Mad Men, at least until the final several episodes, which I thought were just really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Mad Men is, is uh, always interesting, always well-acted. Um, scene work, scene, the, the scenes are always really beautiful and well-written and all of that. But I did struggle with it from, from the outset, I think in my review of the of the premiere, I I said that for the first time, and this is sort of like uh, something of a compliment if you think about it, because this is the sixth season of the show. Um, uh, but with the premiere, with the first time, I, I you know I had said like it was the first time I ever felt a little weary of like Don being Don mm-hmm. and, and 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 Roger being Roger, and I just kind of wanted to see some. Uh, forward movement with the characters, I think, especially as typified by the character of Don, it turns out that this kind of um, stuckness, wanting to change, but 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 can I change? Which is not necessarily a new theme to Mad Men, but it certainly became the overriding theme of of, of this year of yes. Mad Men, where we once again find Don more lost than ever, but at the same time, his lostness seemed never, um, his lostness seemed to be a very acute expression of this guy just flailing about, knowing maybe instinctively that he really needs change, he really needs transformation, he really needs to break habits, but but he he doesn't know how, and he doesn't really have the balls to do it on his own. I, I always kind of thought of his sort of relationship with Sylvia, this really reckless, dangerous, ridiculous like you know affair was i mean like like i I often thought that they wanted to get caught Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Um, here are two people who just seem incapable of making healthy choices for their life so it's like we're just going to make profoundly unhealthy ones so that like um you know you know Dr. Dr. Rosen will, will, will catch us and, uh, yes. and, 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 and destroy these, these, these meaningless, useless lives that we have and just force us to change. Um, and if I'm correct in any of that, they got their wish, but, I, but it was brokered. That moment, that moment was actually facilitated by someone that they probably would have very, very low on their list of people to be caught by. Um, <laughs> Um, but but yeah but 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 before then I would say definitely for the first six episodes of the show I'm like okay okay like what is this season about we're running in place I think I've seen a lot of these situations before and and and, and we should note and at least from my point of view this is not necessarily unusual from Mad Men yes. you know like um, this is not a show that always sort of like declares what its season-long arcs are going to be about. Totally. They are their shows that kind of like, you know, every episode is a thing unto itself, separated. Each episode is separated by a meaty chunk of time. And then, like, by midway through to the end of the season, you realize that there there is a storyline that's sort of emerging or either strongly emerging, and it's going to carry you through to the end. And so, um, as opposed to there have been times where Mad Men has sort of broken from that arc 
specifically my favorite season of Mad Men, which was which was season four, oh, God. seemed to be evenly divided between downward spiraling Don, which kind of reached its lowest point with the suitcase, and then sort of like upward ascending Don, at least to a point where all of a sudden he completely bails on his redemption project, or at least takes it into a, a very like questionable direction, which... Um, i.e., like, you know, marrying Megan all of a mm-hmm, sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, uh, that, that that season had kind of a very obvious structure to that. You know? Yeah, well, well and, 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 and that season also, I, I think that, uh, you know, one thing not to be overlooked here is that that season is, to me, one of the great sort of transformative seasons in television where so much of the show's structure and storytelling and just the whole world of the show radically changed. I mean, that's, you know, you had a brand new agency. You had Don no longer being married anymore. I mean, you know, what sort of seemed like an essential bedrock of the show was totally gone. And yet, at the same time, I I remember very early on watching that season, there's the Christmas episode where Dr. Faye tells him, you know, don't worry, you'll be married again by the end of the year. And I, I, I I remember I was actually I was actually rewatching that season recently because you know clearly I'm a really cool person with uh, lots of things to do. But I, I, I was I, I was so struck by the fact that you you could almost watch that show that season as almost like a reality show of who will be the next Mrs. Draper and you know you you kind of meet all these women along the way and it feels like you know there's there's a real sense of forward momentum there even as the show is sort of doing its usual sort of beautiful sprawling you know narcotizing image of, of the 19. 19- 60s, which is, is is certainly very different from this season. Which I mean, yeah, like, there were there, there were many episodes that just. It's interesting because this season was, in many ways, about repetition, and I still haven't decided whether that justifies it being repetitive. If that makes yeah. any sense, Jeff, and I, I, I sort of feel as if. The season that I I kind of compared it to was season three, which was another season that in many ways, to be honest, I I think that, you know, following your kind of example of Mad Men seasons not really telling you what they're about, I don't think I knew what that season was about until the season finale, which of course is the great shut the door, have a seat, sort of out of nowhere, Don and the gang decide to found their own company. I mean... Up to that point, I, I sort of just felt like that was a season about people's kind of going in circles and, you know, Don is yet again finding himself in an affair with a gorgeous, mysterious brunette woman. And, and, and I, I felt as if this season was echoing that one in, in many ways to the point where, you know, much like after season three, I, I find myself not really knowing what the next season of Mad Men looks like now. I mean, are half our, is half our cast going to be in Los Angeles? And, you know, how is that going to kind of affect the show? But I, I, I wanted to ask you, something you said really kind of struck something in me i you know the the season 4 don was a radically different character than we'd ever seen before as you pointed out that was don you know very much i i think that was the first season where we consistently saw don just blind stumbling drunk which at the time yeah. seemed so shocking season 5 in turn was sort of this portrait of Don Draper being happy, almost despite himself. And, you know, he seemed very content, you know, before Megan decided to announce to him that she is an independent person and not just there to sort of, you know, service him. You know, he obviously had a great thing going with his wife at work and also at home. This season, in a way, was kind of really the return of old Don Draper, which I think may explain, you know, do you kind of think, like, was was it just was it just kind of a step back for the show to not 
you know, show Don in, in, in a new light or, or not sort of push him into a new area this season? Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I like, I'm not, and I'm not saying that I disagree with you. It's saying I, I, I'm kind of confused by the same question myself. Um, I think that, I think that what we were presented with this season was, was I, I, you know, maybe I'm just so colored by the last few episodes, but you know, this is a guy who we, we found at the beginning of this season, like in a really like intense, like self-destructive, addictive kind of like um, um, uh, affair with with Sylvia. I mean, it was unlike kind of anything we'd. I mean, there was there was uh, any kind of affair that we've really seen before from him. I mean, he was really kind of like obsessively crazy about this girl and uh, this woman. Um, and there was a lot of sort of danger in their relationship too, because, you know, she just lived like a couple floors down from him or mm-hmm. maybe even on the same floor. I, I like, I forget. I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in the geography of his apartment building. We haven't really got that firmly established. Um, but like, uh, but it's, there was something about this affair that, was a little different from you know the school teacher down the highway or the you know the the the, the bohemian artist in the city or or or, or whatever I mean this was a, a, a re- there was something that uh, the, the danger of it all and the, the self destructiveness uh, destructiveness of it all and the, the craziness of it of it all like um, was seemed to be part of it for him. This is all building to. I want to know why. You know, like, like, like we we didn't really the, the the information not shown in this season was how did they meet? How did they you know how did they decide to have this affair? Um, um, what does it all really go back to the season finale last year when he? You know this this metaphorical thing where he allows his wife to have her independence, but this creates some kind of like crisis in him where he doesn't know how to deal with it. So might as well become like pathologically nutty adulterous Don again. Like, <laughs> although like, uh, although you know what's interesting is you know uh, what you just said reminded me that. The way that the last season ended, you know, with, with with the great use of the best James Bond theme song ever, "You Only Live Twice," is he he goes out to a bar and is suddenly approached by one gorgeous young lady who tells him that her her gorgeous young lady friend was wondering if he was alone. To me, after that, I was expecting, oh, this this is back to Don Draper. You know, he's you know going out every night and finding a new you know young actress. To, but but the funny thing is that actually what wound up happening was he wound up in a very passionate, apparently essentially monogamous affair, whatever that means, with a, a a married woman, which is quite the opposite. And I I find myself, you know, was that him, was that weirdly a maturation of Don Draper, adulterous, terrible human being? Or, or was, it, was it him sort of, you know, weirdly wanting this domestic ideal, but then perverting it at the same time? I mean, it, it seems like yeah. there's, there's so much there. And, you know, I, I found myself wondering, you know... <laughs> Would we have gotten more if we had seen even a flashback or something like that to how they decided to do it, or was it sort of purposefully meant to be this sort of vaguely defined, you know, thing that happened in, in the past? You know, was was she his Beatrice? All these all these questions, Jeff. Right. Help me, help me. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think that one thing I um, um, I didn't really elaborate on in in my review, and I have heard other, I've read this idea elsewhere. 
but the, the one thought that – the two thoughts I've always had about their affair was the person he's really in love with is Sylvia's husband, Dr. Rosen. Mm. I think there is there, – there is, his sin is, is, is lust here, and he's completely into that guy's wife, right? Um, and, and she does something for him. But at the same time, what's really going on here and how I kind of process it is, is that he covets this man's life because he, he, he's really struck by this man, this, this, this doctor, this do-gooder, this, um, this healthy guy who um, has this really like, good moral compass, and he helps people, and his values seem to be screwed on straight. He's not completely perfect, but, 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 he's, but he's a good man, and, um, uh, and, 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 and he's got a really hot, sexy wife, and um, there's something about this guy, the, his goodness and his integrity and um, his success and, um, and, and, and his wife that I think that Don was just extremely attracted to, and therefore he must destroy it. Yeah, no, um, no, it, totally. Well, and it, it, it's funny seeing even how that played out in the season, you know, like, like the one sort of maybe good action that Don did this year was getting, I, I, you know, there's, there's a sort of interesting paternal overlay here. He managed to get Dr. and Sylvia Rosen's son out of, you know, uh, needing to go to Vietnam or, or needing to flee to, to Canada, as, as the case may be. Which is, you know, even in itself, there's a lot of, you know, sort of ethically ambiguous questions there. But I I think certainly he initially seemed to be doing it out of some goodness of whatever black heart he has. It's funny how just literally by the end of the episode, he had just completely spoiled that too. It's like, you know, this oh, even right. even this 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 attempt to do something moral and not necessarily get anything in return just completely seems to spiral out of control for him. Well, I loved how that that storyline sort of like was this uh interesting bookend to the um the episode that a lot of people thought was like a really fascinating mess. Uh, the one where they all take those, like you know, shots and and, and get our like oh god, speed shots, the crash. But, but what one the crash? Yeah, one thing I really thought, you know, I think I liked that episode a lot more than others did. But um, but one of the things I really thought was interesting about that episode, it was a little on the nose, obvious, but um, at least by the end, this idea that his mad quest, um is addle-brained, like, mad quest to find the solution to the Chevy campaign was really also about, you know, the magic word, the magic tagline. Yes. To sort of answer the creative problem of the Chevy campaign was really all about what's the magic word, the thing that I could say to get Sylvia to open her door up to me again after sort of, like, losing her in the episode before. Um and then, like, and then he, at, at the, by the end of the crash, he seems to have completely shut down on that project. Um, on, on Sylvia, he's gonna, he's just gone cold turkey on her. Yes. So cut a couple episodes later, and he's doing this thing, which, like, for me, seemed yes, like, oh, Don, like, Don's doing this good deed. You yeah. know, um, that he's gonna do this good deed for this guy to get him out of going to the war. Um, and, um, an idea which, by the way, I think has some sort of like thematic emotional link to the beginning of the season where he meets the soldier that's about to ship off to Vietnam. He's clearly like 
oh, you're about to, you know, like, you know, you could definitely, regardless of his politics, he's certainly anti-war. Yes. And he's certainly anti, like, there's no cause wor- worth the dehumanization of that experience, you know. So now cut, cut to this, he's going to do this, he's going to pull whatever strings he can get to get this guy out of war, out of the war. And we admire this decision, you know, this seems to be like a selfless act, a, a kind act. Um, but then he realizes this is it. This is the magic word that could get me back in his <laughs> bed. Like, you know, like, and so how it all, like, uh, the, could deed completely turns into this horrible loss of innocence for Sally and the demise of that relationship for good and facilitates this awful fall that leads to even more damage for Don before, though, and this is what I, one thing, you know, you know, to bring the inferno into it, you know, Dante's Inferno is, you know, that 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 trilogy of, of of great works. You know, it begins with the Inferno, but it heads up to heaven. So, per the metaphor here, you, you, you there is no redemption without going through hell. Mm-hmm. And so, I thought that was an interesting kind of like idea where, yes, he falls hard, but it leads to this moment where. Um, you know, uh, which is both the thing I love because I love dramatically moments like this, but I also hate because I don't necessarily believe that things like this happen in the real world. Mm-hmm. But it, the moment of magical catharsis, yes. you know, of like, I, I, I have this great moment and it's going to like turn me around for good. We have no proof that that's what's going to happen with Dawn. But, 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 but the Hershey bar scene um, in the season finale, that pitch, I think, is immediately going to go to the forefront of the great scenes in Mad Men history. At the same time, makes me wonder if it's going to also be a little overrated because if it all comes down to this, this just one memory of a cho- of eating the the chocolate bar in the whorehouse that's going to turn Don around. Um, you know, I'm kind of going to groan maybe totally. a little bit. Totally. But, well, well, but, but see, but I, I think. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. But, but 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 at the same time, that's just me being a little. I, I, I'm I'm kind of responding to facts, really not in evidence. Hats off to that scene. I think they really earned it because, like the just tying everything together, the 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 affair going wrong and how it goes wrong and bringing in Sally and Sally being exposed to this, and 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 how that sort of like just. Immediately, like that moment, that awful, awful moment where she sees her dad like that, and immediately connects you to a, all these different sort of Sally stories, um, including the you know when she walks in on Roger and and and, and Megan's mom uh, from last season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 just like this final straw for her of like, oh man, like just these constant confrontations with how corrupt like her yep. her, her father's world is and how that kind of send, sends her off this, this to, to make the decisions that she does and it results in her getting suspended from school and Betty and Don sort of finally sort of having this moment where they realize we're really screwing up our kids, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and how he's bringing all of that then and so much more into the Hershey pitch and has this sort of confrontation with this, with this, with this American iconic brand that is sort of like the ultimate symbol of everything that he is not. Sort of this purity and how what's on the outside completely matches what's inside. It's this picture of integrity versus his portrait of hypocrisy incarnate and it's just it's this confrontation that he just cannot run away from it's mm-hmm. his 
monolith. It's his mirror, and it just it's his judgment, and he just is just destroyed by it, and he just cannot deny it. Well, and like I, I think what you're speaking to, Jeff, is really a, a big part of why, I, for all of its flaws, I found this season so fascinating. And in, in some respects, it felt to me like it was operating in a very different register than the earlier seasons, which in many ways were better and less crazily put together. You know, I, I think one thing about this show that is sort of... You know, it, it it is very rich in sort of symbolism, and you know, rich in sort of you know what ha- what's happening to one character always seems to echo in other characters' lives. And I, I know a lot of people don't like that ab- about the show, and and feel that you know it, it, it can kind of create this sort of hermetically sealed landscape. But to me, what I found so fascinating about this season is. You know, it just seemed like it, w- it was in a very self-aware fashion. It was exploring all of these characters and all of their pasts, and you know what what we personally know of their past, and even what we know of the show, in a way that felt like it was almost approaching the level of this sort of modern myth, almost. I mean, you know, and so for example, you know, you were talking about the crash, which is very explicitly set up as this is the Mad Men episode where Don has to work, you know, all through the weekend, and in the end he comes up with the pitch that saves everything. I mean, you know, that that is in the show's DNA right from the very first episode. The first time we saw Don, he was struggling with, you know, what am I going to do with, with, with Lucky Strike? And, you know, how can I, you know, somehow express everything in contemporary America in one handy little slogan? And, you know, that, that led to the, the famous ending. You know, it, it's toasted. And, uh, you know... You're so primed for that kind of thing to happen, and the fact that it doesn't happen, and the fact that if anything, Don very self-awarely says, like, don't worry, I've, I've, I've come up with the answer to everything, and then he just completely doesn't, is so interesting. And then, to me, what's great about that Hershey's thing is that, you know, I, I find that it was it was on the nose in some ways, and yet in other ways, what a complicated thing, because it almost sounds like he's doing a pitch in this bizarre way. I mean, you know, it, it, it comes straight from the heart, and but, but, you know, it's still kind of Don doing his carousel thing, this sort of beautiful story that draws from his own past that, you know, seems to sort of contain all this wealth of information about himself and about, you know, products in America, the things that they conjure up. I mean, th- there was there was there was there was there was, there was a part of me that, that almost wondered if the show was kind of building towards like Hershey's saying like by God like th- th- that's it we, you know let's 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 run with this you know exactly yeah 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 let's 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 run with you know our our, our new mascot the little whorehouse boy <laughs> well, you know as I kind of wrote in my review I thought what was really interesting about um about that scene in particular was that that quality that you're talking about these sort of dawn orations that it, that that his 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 pitches come from this really deep place mixed with some sort of knowing mythology uh, uh, myth making out of it all but i felt like for me what it was communing with was his pitch for for, for the kodak business the mm-hmm. carousel back you know in, in one of like i think was the, the end of the first season or yes. the second season but what he says about nostalgia right which is sort of like the um uh, it, it's sort of like the, the leaking of an old wound or something like that right yes and i kind of felt like that well this is this is that this is exactly it this is what's on display he is he's definitely going on a nostalgic reverie um of of his past and and 
And what is it? It's this old wound within him that is still that is never healed properly, and it, that 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 his past and everything that's sort of bound up in that upbringing. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm liking what you're saying about how like. The, that's a great essay to write, which is like how, how this season sort of communes with all seasons in, in the past, but, it, but specifically like season four. And I like what you're saying too. I, I, there's something that I was kind of, you know, talked about in the essay, which is how all the ways in which Don used to succeed, like not only was he no longer succeeding, but it was having the, 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 the the adverse effect. Yes. Not, not only was it, it wasn't just as simple as, I can't come up with an idea anymore. Oh, well, it's like um, we lost that pitch. It was like how he was losing or his, de- his, 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 his decisions in this was, was taking away salvation from people. <laughs> you know, like it, was, you know, it wasn't like no gain. It was um, putting people in the red. It, yep. Like I'm thinking of like when he rashly decides to fire Jaguar, which like ends up completely rendering Jones' sacrificial debasement from last season completely meaningless or – um, or, or how he quote unquote saves the St. Joseph's pitch to get just a little bit more money from them. Like is just this ultimately this utterly evil humiliation of 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 Peggy specifically, but but Peggy and Ted. Um, just time and you know, and just how merging the agency and promising Ted ultimately of this great new like. Uh, bigger, stronger agency and, and, and the, the opportunity to work with this creative genius. And then by the end of the crash, you know, in order specifically to get Chevy and, and, and work on that campaign, but on all these other projects. And then by the end of the crash, he's telling Ted, I'm not working on this campaign yeah, anymore. Yeah, no, you know? no, it, it's so interesting. I mean, like, it just, I, I feel like, and again, I think this is to the credit of the writers who do operate on, who do kind of operate in the world of kind of, you know, symbolism in a way that can sound pretentious, but that honestly, is very different from a lot of other shows on TV right now. So much of what Don did this season was just, it was all kind of just destruction. I mean, I think i think you may have pointed out in your review, Jeff, that almost all of his ads, almost all of his, all of his ideas this year like, like didn't feature the product. You know, it's all kind of like, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to show people reacting to the car, but not the car itself. We're, we're not going to show ketchup. We're not going to, and, and, you know, on one hand, that is kind of inventive. On the other hand, it, 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 it speaks to the this weird kind of self-immolating tendency that he had, where it just seems like, I mean, you know, he's just, he's he's destroying things right and left in a way that, you know, feels very vivid for a show that is, again, about people, you know, in, people in, in offices talking about things. Well, about that then, like, as, as we kind of talk about um, uh, that, like, well, 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 two things to that. One is, like, there is... You know, this is definitely Don the Devil season. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that when you're dealing with something like the Inferno, um, you know that that, that whole uh, thing at the beginning and, and Rosemary's baby, you know the you know siring the Antichrist. At one point, like they they like humorously actually have Don play the role of uh, the baby in the rehearsal of the ad. You know, and wah, 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 wah. <laughs> but he's but if you think about it, he's playing the devil's child. He's yes. playing the Antichrist. You know, and so all throughout they're basically pitting this idea that that 
that Don is the antichrist of his family, but also now that this merged agency and everything he does is, you know, is all everything is leading to corruption. Um, and, and ultimately, the end of the season, then in which he's banished, plays like an exorcism, you mm-hmm, know. Like, mm-hmm. um, but 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 to the point that you raised about the nature of the campaign of the campa- of campaigns, where he's like not showing the pro. A product and all of his ads. I mean, that seems so symbolic of any number of things you could say about Don, but it's in direct contrast to the pitch that he makes at the end, which is it shows the product like up front and and then and then when he has the like that that was an interesting and meaningful I think contra, you know like contradiction you know is that, that 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 approach versus everything else he was doing and then it was followed up by what I thought was one of the most interesting parts of that scene where, you know, the Hershey guy says almost sarcastically, you want us to advertise that? <laughs> and he was like, if it was, I think, what was the, it was the line? If it was up to me, you wouldn't advertise at all? Yes, yes. I mean, like, I thought that was extremely loaded. Like, wow, like, like, what does that mean? Like, you know, in the context of a guy who is like, has this sort of deeply personal, like, relationship to his creative work that he can't really put his finger on. It's so suffused with his own issues in ways he can't see. And so it's like, so what does it mean then when he doesn't want to show the ad, uh, the, the, the product? It's like my, my take on it, and I think there, there's any number of things that you could say about it, but like it was almost like he's afraid to show the product because everything, everything that that product means to him or symbolizes to him, it's like he doesn't want to show it because he doesn't want to corrupt it in any way. He doesn't want whatever he's going to say about it, like destroying it, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so like it, it, it kind of says something about his relationship to meaning, like how everything that he does, everything that everything he touches, even the most meaningful things become meaningless. So for him, like, you know, to him say, uh, I, I, if it was up to me, you wouldn't want to advertise it. He was saying like, well, if I advertise your product, I'd probably end up hating it or, or subverting <laughs> its meaning. Or, or maybe he's actually saying something about our very culture or, or his very business that it's just like, it's, it's, it's ultimately hypocritical. It's, it's ultimately meaningless. It's, yeah. it's all crap. The, uh, again, though, what I find so interesting, and, and this is why the show is so it's so loaded in so many ways, is at the same time, what he was saying about Hershey's made me think more about when I was a kid eating Hershey's than I ever have in my entire life. And it's it's this funny thing where, you know, I I think that in the same way that The Sopranos, the the, the great show that you know Matthew Weiner kind of kind of cut his teeth on, The Sopranos was a show about you know therapy and psychology that was very skeptical of therapy. I feel like. Matthew Madman is skeptical both of advertising, but it's also skeptical of people who are skeptical of advertising. I mean, there, there was there, there was something so wonderful about the fact that, like, God, like Dick Whitman, you Hershey's was really like, yeah, it, it was the only sweet thing in your life. Like, geez, like you poor kid. I wish you could have gone to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory here. I mean, like, I, 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 when I when I see you know, like, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I, I, I'm with you, and I'm and. Um, this, uh, it, it is interesting to wonder whether or not what, what is Mad Men really saying about advertising. But you know, I always kind of see Mad Men as 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 much as it might be about advertising. I see it as a metaphor for the creative life and the creative industry, totally. or i.e. Hollywood. So, like this indictment of you know the, just the the juxtaposition between this sort of like mythic, uh, idealistic hyperbolic ad that he's sort of like 
pitching, and then all of a sudden he has this rumination about a much more realistic and gritty kind of. I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if, like, as uh, you know, I'm wondering like what's Mad Men saying about just our, our culture in general, whether or not it really sort of like um, it does it, it does us any favors in terms of sort of really helping uh, uh, develop imagination, an imagination, and a, a, a inner life that act, can meet the challenge of of the real world. You know, totally. Well, and and you know, it, it's funny again. I mean, uh, this is this is the, the second show in this hour that, that we're saying maybe some kind of metaphor for Hollywood and the creative process. But I, I think very explicitly in, in Mad Men, you know, there's always kind of been this sense that you know the the advert the the, the copywriters room is. A writer's room and you know when they're talking about creativity and expression those are words being written by writers who themselves you know live lives of attempting to be creative and attempting to sort of express themselves and and that's why you know I think in a lot of ways, uh, uh, Keith Staskowitz, who, who recapped the show this season, he he kind of described this season as a hall of mirrors. You know, it's all, you know, you have Don, and then you have Ted as this kind of reverse Don, and you have Bob Benson as this sort of, you know, the, the next generation of Don, and you have Pete Campbell, who eternally is trying to be Don and failing miserably, and you ultimately have Peggy, who, you know, in the end is sitting in Don's chair in, in that special, you know, back of her head to the camera way that, you know, usually is reserved for Don. And I... I I find that, you know, there's an element of this season where I think you can very easily see Matthew Weiner both, you know, maybe falling into certain writerly pitfalls, but also exploring that at the same time. And and that's ultimately why, you know, a lot of people said that last night, the, the finale felt like a series finale, and in many respects it did. And I, I just, I wonder if, I hope certainly that, you know, if, if we've now seen this inferno, which in this hastily constructed metaphor that I'm using, the inferno would be telling the same old story over and over again and another se- another season of Don, you know, cuckolding his wife and another season of Pete kind of screwing up and his, you know, Pete's, like, like yet another one of Pete's wacky parents dying in some bizarre, you know, you know, <laughs> falling into the sea. You know, if, if that was hell, you know, what what is, you know, do we see paradise next year? And, you know, is that, if not necessarily paradise for the characters, does that mean some radical shift for the show or something like that? I, 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 I can't be paradise it'll be purgatory yeah i gotta think that the most honest version of this show is 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 not one in which they say and they all lived happily ever after it's 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 some version of the show that you know especially since when it's communing with history and so we i mean unless they're going to make a massive leap forward in time next year if they kind of stay the course here you know if if it's ultimately like the next season will take us out of the 60s and into the 70s we all know that it's not going to get terribly better you know like water you know watergate is probably you know the show will probably end with watergate looming on the horizon and vietnam still like you know not yet you know like yet concluded and 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 everything that the culture that is sort of produced then out of these moments then. So, so ultimately then the best that we can really hope for these characters is that they, on a personal level, that they reach some kind of like peace or yes. some place where they're in pos- complete possession 
of their personalities and complete possession of themselves so they can actually make something like heroic decisions toward pursuing a, a healthy life for themselves and, and leave it there, like, and wondering if they'll actually achieve that mission for themselves. Like, I think that's just the best that these people can hope for. Yeah, some some tiny moment of grace in, a, in an otherwise chaotic, uh, <laughs> right. chaotic vision of America. But, you know, to kind of, like, just kind of circle back a little bit, to, you know, what Keith is pointing out, which I think is really wise um, and, and smart, and is also sort of rooted in... Um, um, maybe um, a source of, uh, of joylessness about this season, which is, you know, like it's you and I love talking about things like a Hall of Mirrors season, and 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 and, th- and because we are so into Mad Men, dare we say we have geeked out on Mad Men um, and in an entertaining way. Um, no, like. W- that, that kind of means something to us. We can really kind of like enjoy that part, that kind of self-involvement of the show, the show kind of, you know, using other characters to talk about other characters, but talking about the show itself and all this kind of stuff. But I, but I think there's always a danger to that kind of thing, of that kind of self-involvement that, that just makes it feel like it's so, um, I don't know, just... Uh, like it's, oh yeah, totally. Well, it, well, it just, it's eating itself. Well, it's, well, it, it, you know, you know, in, in in a lot of respects, I mean, you know, this season felt a little bit to me like uh, you know, like, like a lot of later seasons of even great TV shows, where it becomes more about exploring the TV show and its kind of internal right. mythology than it is about, about pushing it forward. You know, it, it also reminded me a lot. You know, Hitchcock is uh, Hitchcock. Matthew Weiner is a great fan of Alfred Hitchcock. He's talked a lot about that kind of influence on Mad Men. And stylistically and, you know, in terms of its tone. And this season, to me, was a lot like the sort of later Alfred Hitchcock's, you know, like like the, the the films like Marnie, which pretentious people always say is their is their favorite Alfred Hitchcock, to which the response is always like, "Come on, guys! Like you'll, you're you're choosing Marnie over Notorious or North by Northwest or you know Rear Window." I mean, I I I, I do sort of I, I I'm very concerned about what you're speaking of, Jeff, which is the the rampant you know, the, the point at which the show is as kind of involved in its internal mythology as we are is the point where it stops, you know, it stops saying anything new, really. And so I, 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 think, I think that's... Sorry. But let's, let's call out something else, too, which is, like, I don't know if this is good or bad, right? Which is, I think that we now... And this has been, I think, that now that we can get to this end of season six and now with the season seven now looming, I think, I, I think that this is fair. Which is... Mad Men, as, as, as inventive as it's been, um, as great as it's been, if you think about the defining character of the show, Don Draper, um, you realize that from a big picture point of view, the show doesn't have a lot to say about Don. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. um, the, the basic arc of this guy is he, he's living this really like self-destructive life um, Will he pull out of it, or will it destroy him, or is he just doomed to sort of like live out this pathology over and over again until he dies? And 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 season one pretty much said as much as all all you really need to know about that. There was there was is interesting to see how the consequences of this life play out and mm-hmm. see what it's going to do to his first marriage and then his second and to some degree his, his his kids. But 
it's it's really been about playing out the clock until the final season when they can finally answer that question, which is, is he ever going to change? Is he going to find some kind of redemption? Is he going to ultimately find self-destruction or, or, or what? And, um, and uh, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I think I would, you know, as much as I love the show, I, I mean, not who am I to tell what the show tell the show how to do things differently. I've, I've been on board with every season up until now, so who am I to complain? But, but God, Jeff, you're, you, you, sir, are Jeffrey Jensen. You tell them, you tell those darn showrunners whatever you want to tell them. <laughs> I have enjoyed it. Like, I, I can't really complain about it, but that said, I kind of look back now on season five, for example, and, 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 and the marriage to Megan, and I kind of wonder, well, now that kind of almost feels to me, I'm, I mean, I'm being very almost, I don't know why I'm even saying this. I'm not trying to be negative, be negative, but this is just the idea that comes to mind, which is it seems to me that that was just a big running in place. Mm-hmm, the same mm-hmm. thing with, 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 with this season as a running in place to like to ultimately tell us the, a, a story that it really, I mean, that it could have told at any other point, like right after the suitcase, for example, which is the suitcase was an equally kind of like, the bottom drops out of Don Draper kind of a, a episode. And, uh, um, you know, he could have decided to go home and tell his kids, okay, this is who I am. <laughs> this is everything you need to know about me. And then, and, and then the final season of Mad Men begins there. But um, I just hope that um, for, for the final season of Mad Men, that it, um, if, if there's another thing that's sort of disappointing to me about this season is that it was – we, we've talked this whole podcast, and here we are at the end, and we've only talked about Don Draper. Yep. And I kind of feel like he, you know, the, 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 the show that people fell in love with is a show that's about a lot of other people. And this does, I think I might have said it on this podcast before, it feels like the end of Mad Men does feel to some degree about some of the complaints that people had about the end of Lost, where for a lot of people, even though, yes, Jack was like the big part of that, you know, was all, it was, the show was always going to be to some degree about Jack, but, but the show that people fell in love with at the beginning was about a lot of other people. And then by the end, a lot of the, most of those other people are shunted to the background like are basically tied off and roped off and they, they, they have their endings. And the show is really all about finishing through Jack, Ben, um, and, 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 and Locke. Um, I, I kind of feel like maybe something similar is happening with Mad Men where all the characters that we all fell in love with, I, I the chef, the show is definitely going to finish through Don and Peggy. You know that, yes, right? And I, yes. and I think that Betty is going to play a big role in the end game, but I really hope that the final season of Mad Men feels, gives everyone a lot of moments and feels super satisfying for, for, for everyone, and it's just not all about Dawn. I think you're exactly right. I mean, you know, to me, there's a way to watch the show, or at least there usually has been, where it, it feels almost as much about Peggy, at least insofar as she is very explicitly set up as a kind of counterpoint, a student, a, a whole series of things to Don. And this was really the first season where, for all the kind of great moments that we got with her, she felt a little bit pushed aside by him. And and yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right, that like you never want to see a show 
which starts out being about one guy, but then grows into this whole beautiful world ensemble. It feels a little limiting if suddenly in the end it comes right back around to being about that guy again. I mean, I, I think that, you know, again, Sopranos sort of did this, but I think that Sopranos maybe had more interesting things to say about Tony Soprano than Mad Men necessarily does about Don Draper, which is obviously, you know, you're comparing, like, I don't know, Fitzgerald to, to Hemingway there, so it's, it's not like there's nothing to say about Don Draper. But I, I think, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. If it becomes just about exploring this guy, I mean, listen, we don't need any more flashbacks to Dick Whitman's uh, childhood being raised on a spare set from Boardwalk Empire. I think... Hey, I think can we also say how bad those <laughs> I think, are? I think we're I mean, about past that. <laughs> I am so like it's oh. like they're not only like come like, on, c- like, come on in, we're darling. Gonna have, we're gonna have to have another podcast about this, but I I, I have to say that like um the the, the flashbacks I, I like I like they're they're worthy of a discussion of whether or not they're I mean if if they're even accomplishing the purposes of the show like like it just feels so the more I find out about him and his past. The more, like, uh, I, I don't know how to, like, we're going to have to talk about it some other time. No, well, no, well, wait, but, 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 but see, to me, again, the weird thing here is the comparison to Lost eerily holds up. The more you learn about the mystery, the more you're kind of like, well, actually, I mean, well, A, the, the, the questions you're answering aren't necessarily even questions I had, and B, the answers you're coming up with are eerily on the nose. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, you, you hear that he's raised in a whorehouse. Wow, that's really interesting. What a compelling kind of character thing. You actually see it done in this bizarre way where young Dick Whitman looks nothing at all on this planet, like what young John Hamm would look like. And well, it's such a cartoon, yeah. too. I mean, it's it, it's so. Re- I feel so like, like you know, okay, that that could be really interesting. Yeah. You know that, but but you know what it reminds me of is, um, I mean, uh, you, you evoked Lost, um, like the Flash. Don's flashbacks are. Um, are basically are basically under the sea. Yes. You know, like yes. Uh, 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 that 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 late that late lost episode that landed two or three episodes before the finale, where we go back in time and thousands and thousands of years, and we see Jacob and his nameless brother being raised by mother, and um, <laughs> and that that episode was extremely polarizing, um, and it was like they took everything that was metaphorical about the show and they made it like literal history. Yeah, you know and, and, exactly. Yeah, but and, but, and, but... and, and they kind of and, and and not necessarily well executed anyway i mean like you know i'm a lost apologist so i found something really meaningful about all of that stuff but i understand the complaints about that from the very beginning with mad men and with these flashbacks it felt like under the sea chopped up and scattered throughout the whole series totally totally i mean i mean like every flashback seems to sort of come down to you know, metaphor interacts with metaphor in metaphorical fashion that is a metaphor. And it's it's all just like, you know, there's there's very little sense of like, you know, the, which is funny because, again, in in all the, the present day scene, the present day scenes, in, in all the 60s scenes, you know, the characters are very interesting. And, you know, the, 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 the ultimate meaning is often very kind of like, you know, not out of the open. And just, God, like the second you go into flashback mode, it's like, oh, I, I get it now. Don's a hobo. Oh, like, you just kind of... <laughs> 
Um, but uh, Jeff, I, I think we I think we've about exhausted Mad Men for this week. I, I look forward to kind of pondering it more, and I I, I I I get the sense that whatever happens next season, every episode is probably going to make us talk about this much about it. It just seems like there's so much kind of teed up now. Even if it's the worst season the show ever does, it certainly is going to be interesting and compelling in a way that you know I feel like few shows in their last season are. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. I I mean, let, let's say this much about Mad Men, which is like apparently the, the worst season of, of Mad Men is um, still like maybe the best show on television. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, I, mean, I, I, I don't feel like I have a command uh, here, here at the end. I can't quite re- upload the whole season of, 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 of TV into my head. But like, you know, it's still... I mean, I care deeply about this world. The quality of the writing is so great. The fact that it could get us talking like this, um, you know, very, very few shows can, can, can do that, with the exception, of course, of Big Brother. Of course, ah, Big Brother, st- starting tomorrow night. I'm excited. That's all we're going to be talking about this summer, Jeff. <laughs> right, there we go. Now that, we've, now that we've discussed Under the Dome and Mad Men, let's get, let's get down to brass tacks here. Big Brother, 100 days. Um... That wraps us up for Entertainment Geekly this week. Uh, always a pleasure uh, talking to my co-host. Uh, as always, I'm Darren Franich. And I enjoy speaking with you. And another thing about Man of Steel. Uh, one other thing about, about Man of Steel. You're wrong, Jeff. You're wrong. All right. See you next time, everyone. Bye.